I'm sure you heard about this in the news because it was a vicious, vicious double murder and it played out right in broad daylight on the streets of Toronto Friday afternoon. It was up in the North York um, area. And this was the stabbing deaths of a mother and daughter who were allegedly killed at the hands of a husband and a father near their home. And Angelica was just 20. Her mother, Elvie, just 44. They had come here from the Philippines about 10 years ago to make a better life. Angelina, or Angelica wanted to be a flight attendant. And the father apparently came to Canada just over a year ago. Not known if they were still married, not known what would have led to this, but he now faces two counts of second-degree murder. But these women now become statistics. They are the fifth and sixth women to be killed in a domestic situation. But, you know, sadly, femicide is the leading cause of death for women in this country. When you look at the stats and how they're broken down, from November 2021 to July 2022, there have been 27 such murders in Ontario. 12 of those 27 have been officially listed as femicides. So we don't know the motive here, but like so many of these cases, we will likely learn that there had been lots of warning signs and they were ignored. Let me bring Liren Dokery to this conversation, Director of Programs at the Women's Abuse Council of Toronto. And I think I'm butchering your last name. How do we say that properly? <laughs> Good morning, Alex. Is it Doherty? Doherty. Doherty. I was like, I'm going to yeah. guess this and I'm going to guess it wrong. But there you go. Appreciate Never. you uh, correcting that for me. Um, I wish I could say I was surprised. I mean, as soon as I heard about this on Friday, automatically I said, this has got to be a domestic situation. And here we are again. You're absolutely right. You know, unfortunately, we're in a place where we're never surprised. We're never surprised to hear of gender-based violence or femicide. And, um, and as you said, Alex, we're never surprised to learn when the perpetrator is a, a family member, particularly a former or a current partner. Yeah, I mean, three women, if you look at the stats, three women are killed by their partner every month, month across Ontario. I look at the stats. Um, I don't feel like those are representative of the true story being told. How do we know the data is accurate? Because I recall, uh, Laren, that during even the pandemic, certainly throughout the GTA, we were hearing case after case after case. How accurate is the data reporting on these crimes? You're absolutely right. Um, I, I think we don't know, of course, the breadth of gender-based violence or intimate partner violence. We do, we do have some measures. We saw during the pandemic that calls to police and crisis lines went up by 20, 30, 40%. Again, we know it can be very difficult for survivors to even report violence. Um, as you said, you know, we know that, you know, in this, in this province last year, there were 54 femicides. That was up from 20 from the previous year. Now, the way that we look at those cases is really to understand what, as you said, those family dynamics are. We can identify that the majority of them have been killed, as you said, by a, a partner or family member. So we have, we have better data on femicides. Unfortunately, as you said, we just we don't know the, the prevalence of gender-based violence. It's extremely prevalent, and, and really, it's it's a crisis, um, but we only know of those that are reported, um, reports the police or as you, you know, call the crisis line or call the support yeah. service.
Yeah, uh, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that not all of these are actually reported. Um, I've talked mm-hmm. about this on the show, mm-hmm. and when they're not reported, then they are not documented properly, and therefore right. we never get a true reflection of the actual crime. Uh, but we do know, and I've certainly covered, unfortunately, many of these throughout throughout my time, um, that there are always warning signs. It's always a, we can never let this happen again, and then it happens again and again and again. And this is not just a new thing. This is like going back decades. We always have warning signs, and they never... And to date in 2022, they just seem to either get missed or it's always too late. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, because there are risk factors that precede femicides that could be, you know, mm-hmm. stalking and jealous behavior. It could be access to firearms. It could be impending separation. It could be abuse during pregnancy. There's so many. But actually, these femicides are considered predictable and both pre- preventable, you know. And, and often when we do have inquests into femicide, we learn yeah. As you mentioned, that these cases were known. They were known to justice partners, community agents. They were known to family members, community members, neighbors, and employees. Um, and, and really, because of this, we need greater support. We need that information sharing, that response into these cases early on, because an inquest is too is too late. Sure. Yeah, it, not just too late, but I mean, time and again, uh, we know that inquesting inquiries end up being, you know, gathering dust on a shelf. Uh, and in the end, recommendations very rarely actually get put into play until we get another one and say, oh, hey, we could have, never mind. What's the biggest challenge then still? Is it a language barrier? Because a lot of times you will get, um, and it's not certainly all the time, but certainly you'll get women who are new to the country, new Canadians who find themselves in this situation. So does it become a, a language barrier or a fear of reporting? Yeah, you know, femicide is a, you know, affects all communities. It's a global issue across all countries. There are some populations that could be at greater risk of violence, but um, there are some populations that face greater barriers to services and support. Um, That could be newcomer and immigrant women. They might face increased barriers of language or isolation. They might have a lack of knowledge of what supports are available. And as you said, they also could fear reporting. Um, because it may impact their immigration status. But more importantly, Alex, a lot of these cases, things have been reported. So there is escalating violence happening, um, and, and that's known about. So a lot of these cases in femicide, they were accessing services and support. They were yeah. trying to find housing. They did have a restraining order out. So there were some supports in place um, in some of these cases. Yeah, I mean, there's so many cases I'm kind of jogging through my head where you're like, this mm-hmm. woman was on the radar. Uh, there's a case out of uh, the greater Toronto area, and her name escapes me right now, but, you know, where uh, she did everything right, getting the, the orders against uh, her partner. Um, you know, everyone knew that the person was a threat, and then this woman ends up dead. But, you know, uh, the most dangerous time, as you know, is is leaving. That is when the woman is at the most risk. Is it that we just don't have the services available to protect them? Because you can't just go to court and expect a piece of paper to stop a motivated person from killing their 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 loved one or partner. They're going to get it and they're going to do it, whatever. So it's like when, when someone leaves this kind of situation, they have to disappear. They have to be able to go somewhere where this person's not going to be able to find them. Uh, we just don't have those services available. Yeah, I think what you're speaking about enough is of them. Enough for, of them. for yeah. all of those interventions to be working together. I would say, you know, the housing crisis had a significant impact on survivors. So here at Women Act, we hear time and time again from survivors that uh, access to housing is the greatest barrier to fleeing and leaving that relationship. So right. first and foremost, survivors need housing. They need long-term housing. We also think they need the right to remain in their own home and have that perpetrator removed. Why should she leave, right? We, yeah. we need lots of options, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, 
one of the things that we're working on at, at Women Act is setting up across the province high-risk tables that bring together the justice partners, the housing partners, the violence against women sectors to work together. Because as you said, it's not just about, you know, that piece of paper. It's about setting up a, a plan of protection and action that's going to keep her safe until that risk can be uh, removed and ensuring that the protection and that support is along the lines. Um, you mentioned an inquest, you know, recently there was an inquest into the deaths of three women who were killed by a former partner in Renfrew County. This inquest, as many requests have done, made very clear mm -hmm. recommendations of what needs to change. Sadly, we don't see the government prioritizing the implementation of these recommendations or investing in any of these recommendations. And one of the key ones that came out of it, Alex, was that information sharing that getting in on high risk cases early on when they're identified by the police or by the community, ensuring that all of the supports are around so that person doesn't fall through the cracks. So she doesn't get in a position where she has to return to a violent relationship because she's homeless, um, where she has those justice protections uh, where we are holding the perpetrator accountable. So it isn't really about, you know, that one solution. That one solution is a lot of services and support around that individual or in this case, around their family, right? Around the, the woman and their children. Yeah. It's such a tough um, situation because it's not, it's not ever simple. It's just not about no. leaving. There are always layers and layers of this, but nonetheless, we keep hearing about it, and, uh, and it is just such a tragedy. I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Alex. It's uh, Laren Doherty, who's with the Women's Abuse Council of Toronto. So again, father, husband, charged, second-degree murder. We will find out the details of this, assuming he's not uh, extradited or, or um, uh, you know, taken out of the country. But I will put money on it now that there were many, many warning signs here. And somehow, sadly, uh, they did not or were not heed, uh, heeded, and these women paid with their lives. It won't be the first time. It won't be the last time. But boy, oh boy, I wish we had more supports for this.